this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. sure test of will um my wi-fi is super wonky and there's a construction team outside and there is also a guy i did not know that the landlord had done this but is working on hardwood floors in my house um i have the door insulated with a whole bunch of towels i have the windows (laughs) i'm I'm basically living like nick cave probably normally lives um but i'm in total darkness and as much isolated as i can be you're living in a Nick Cave? <laughs> mm, that joke number one. Check. Hey, you're the one that wanted to report early. I'm awake. I'm fully awake. I'm more oh, man. Do the later episodes. That was so brutal. Uh, we haven't done a morning episode in like over, over a year and a half, I think. Probably longer than that. I mean, that's how we used to do them all. Yeah, we used to do them smack dab in the middle of the day when the sun was out. It's so weird. So weird to even think of that now. It's odd to it's odd to sit here in brightness. I know, well, as brightness as, as bright as I can be, considering that I'm living like a bat at the moment. This is my this is my preferred way of podcasting, but almost nobody ever wants to record at this time. So yeah. I've acclimated to the nighttime. So now I'm like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. Yeah, like when I was doing all the when I had this show was just Creative Minds and I was doing the interviews every week. Mm-hmm. It was always during the daytime if I could do it. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I wanted to be as sharp as possible. So especially when it was people in London, I always had to do it in the daytime. Well, you got your Jad joke out of the way within the first 30 seconds. So, I mean, I, I think we're off to a good start. Well, I, I, would, I would think um, for everybody listening, if they're lucky, there will be more. <laughs> One would think, yeah. If, if, if this tea that I'm drinking will help me. Um, I'm also I'm battling a, the beginning of a cold. Really weird week for me. Mm-hmm. Arm thing and now this. So, yeah. What can you please explain the arm thing? I don't. I don't know that I can. No. <laughs> uh, well, I went to I went to sleep and I woke up with a, an arm that didn't work. Really, I couldn't lift it. Um, oh, that's weird. 
And then three days later, it was fine. And then it came back for a day and then it went away. So I don't know. I'm a, I've been a, afraid to go out and hit the boxing bag because the muscle that was injured is the top of my shoulder. Uh, which is like my punchy, my punchy muscle. Yeah, I, for, so, I forget that you're doing the boxing thing. That explains a lot. Well, I don't think it's from that. I Honestly, I think it's from my sleeping um, because I tend to pin my arms. Mm-hmm. Not both at the same time, but if I'm I, I'm a side sleeper, so I tend to pin one arm underneath. Mm-hmm. And if you lay in the right spot in my mattress, because it's an older mattress, my shoulder will slip like really underneath. And sometimes I will, because of that, jump my arm up above my head, straight out. You know, like I'm pointing to the sky. Yeah. So between those two things, neither of those for long periods of time necessarily good for your shoulders. Yeah, so, I can imagine. And I'm not a back sleeper. I never have been. I have like sleep apnea and stuff like that anyway, so I'd die. <laughs> yeah, I try I try to sleep on my back because supposedly it's better for your back, but I've never been able to pull it off. Like I've, I've been a side sleeper essentially my entire life. It's like sleeping like a corpse. I don't understand it. I mean, corpses don't sleep, but I don't know. It's just not comfortable. I, my grandfather used to do it. And I don't know how he did it. But he also snored like he was cutting down the forest. So, yeah, my dad does that too. I I, yeah, I remember like I'm so it's weird because I'm a light sleeper, but I am immune to snoring. Like I feel like your body just adapts over time. It's really weird. Yeah, I don't know what the what the deal with sleep apnea is because so I went in and I you know the doctor and you have this little class and they explain what sleep apnea is and they make you do a test and all this. It's so fucking common, but like it. I don't know if it's like one of those things that always existed and then that just science just finally figured out that it was happening or if it's an epidemic, you know, like might, all of a might sudden be both. it's fucking weird. It, it might be people are discovering it because or not discovering it, but people are learning a lot more about it because it's becoming an epidemic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm going to show you another, con- I'm going to send you a photo in a second of another consequence of recording in the daytime. I had to take the photo first. And for people listening, the photo will be on Instagram. But it is that um, Latte doesn't nap <laughs> during what? the daytime. So he's literally on my lap. So I'm juggling the microphone, the keyboard, my beverages, and a dog on one leg. Um, I'm on one of my legs that is sending me the photo. Huh. Because dogs, dogs of his size don't necessarily lay across your lap. They lay in a way that you have to keep your butt cheeks clenched to keep them on your lap. Oh, ha! Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, so I'm, I'm getting in a, I'm getting a glute workout right now as we speak, <laughs> and a thigh workout. Well, because of how I'm sitting, um, because of the the precarious situation, I have to be. I literally have to be like in as close to the middle of my room as possible. Um, so I have to be on my bed and on a corner of my bed. So I have to sit very strangely. So my leg is already starting to fall asleep and it's only five minutes in. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to maneuver this as we continue talking so that my leg isn't completely dead by the time we're done. That's funny that you should say that because when I was recording the episode with Julie, which came out to today that we're recording, but three days ago for everybody listening, we were talking about how you used to put the microphone in weird places so that you had to like lean forward the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why you did that to yourself, but 
it's basically a self-immolation, you know, like the same reason that I don't just say, hey, I'll be right back. I have to be right now in the middle of an episode and I just hold it for two hours. Yeah. And I feel like with you too, like there are times where that happens really early in the episode and you're holding it literally for two hours. Yeah. You can tell probably by the urgency of some of my comments. <laughs> yeah. And or by the time we're done, you're like, okay, gotta go. Bye. Or I say, PP, gotta go pee Yeah, that was still one of the strangest moments ever. <laughs> it's like your brain just took over. Like this subconscious physical, like your medulla oblongata said, you know what, we're running the show for a few minutes. I go pee, Chad. I wonder what with the dog on my lap. What we will say. Oh, man. Come out of my mouth. <laughs> Ugh. Well, um, I mean, it's it's entertaining for the like for at, at the very least, it's entertaining for me. So yeah, there's that's that. All that matters. Yeah, exactly. If I can keep you entertained for two hours. I can at least keep some audience members entertained. Yeah, I'm gonna open up the Instagram real quick. Right, can you believe that file's still saving? By the way, that's unbelievable. How big is the file? It's oh, uh, it's like six or seven gigs. Every oh, Jesus, every episode of the show is like six or seven gigs. Ugh, really? I had no idea they were that large. I mean, what what? I'm I'm sure well, no one cares about this other than us. But what sample rate are well, you saying? Shit, it's our show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's part of it is the length. So you uh, have an audio file. You know, like Logic Pro projects aren't usually two to three hours long. They're usually five to ten minutes long. Sure. You've got multiple tracks, which is doesn't really add too much. But you know, you have multiple long tracks. But then we have. Uh, let's see. Let me, oh, I can't do it while it's saving. But I have like six effects on every. You know, like I have a, a declicker so that you know when our voices go click click, if our yeah. mouth is getting dry or something, it cuts that out. Mm-hmm. Noise reduction for the background, uh, a leveler. Um, okay, so that makes more sense because you're running filters while you're saving, so it's processing and saving at the same time. Yeah. So okay, it, that it, makes sense. It takes like twenty minutes to save a file, sometimes yep. more depending. And this this was well, this. That's a 148. That's a little bit short, actually. So it's a shorter episode. This is, I'm saving the Julie file. So uh, glad that went well, by the way. I was worried about that one. Oh, it's so much fun. She's so much fun. Yep. Well, what's, what's weird about these, what I have to do because, like most people, I don't have the money to buy the maxed out laptop with, you know, like a terabyte of storage in it or two terabytes. I get the like medium level of storage. Well, all these, like I said, these are like five to five to eight gig files for every mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, I wouldn't have a hard drive anymore, so I have to move them to an external. Jeez! But to do that, first I have to move a folder over into the the external drive for the episode, drop in the the raw audio files. Mm-hmm. But then I have to save. That's another reason it takes longer because it's saving to an external as opposed mm-hmm. to the home drive. Gotcha. Yeah, that at least quadruples the time because you now you're at the limit of USB. Yeah, because like if I rate. if I saved that to my desktop, the Logic profile, and then moved it over, it would take like three times as long. Sure. Because it's going to save, and then it's going to take the time for the transfer. So it's easier to save it right to the external. But like you said, limits of USB. Yep. And it's USB C, but still, it's not Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. Oh, even Thunderbolt probably would take this long. Actually, I think it is Thunderbolt technically. Yeah, Thunderbolt's pretty quick, but yeah, I mean, you're you're just it's just plus on top of that, it's a seven gig file, dude. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's not just the transfer rate too. You know, it's that yeah, 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 right. Because it's it's when you save this in Logic, it's got three levels. So there's the top one saving, the next one copying audio file, and Mm -hmm. then underneath that, it's copying all of the the effects for 
each audio file. So every time I cut, you know, like if there's a <laughs> and I cut out a cough mm-hmm. and that splits a track into two, that's a new audio file. Cut out a cough. I don't cut know. Cut out a cough. Cut out a cough. You know, it almost sounds like you're at the dentist. Yeah, or or sound like a old dude from New York. Oh, you just cut out the cough. It's fine. Speaking of, um, Coming to America 2 is coming out and I'm very excited about that. That's so strange to me. But, uh, you know, it seems like there's a lot of money in remaking things right now. We're bringing old things back. At the very least, though, I respect Eddie Murphy for taking as long as he did to even consider doing the second one. So I don't there's know if that. that's happened, though. I feel like he was like, I'm done with that. And then money was the lure. Sure. Well, it's like that Denzel Washington thing, right? Like he said, he'd never do a sequel and he did one for uh, the equalizer because the money was right. Yeah. Well, when it comes down to it, most people put in those situations will probably pick to do something like that. Like how much well, of a compromise is this? Ah, uh, not that much of one. Well, I, I, I bet though in certain cases, like the case of Denzel or Eddie Murphy, those guys are stinking rich. So sure, the money's a lure there too, but the project had to be right. Well, I, I think the money is a lure because... Um, even though they're stinking rich, you know, like uh, I, I don't remember who the interview was with this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Somebody's talking about like uh, as you make more money, your lifestyle grows with it. Oh, sure. So, you know, like uh, we'll say that you and I have, well, you and I are probably rare exceptions because we're both <laughs> struggling right now. But we'll, we'll say at our good time, we have 20% disposable income. Mm-hmm. I would venture that people that are totally loaded like Denzel have 20% expendable income because 80% of it is going to pay for the really expensive house here, the really expensive house there, the sales tax, the agent, you know, the the car, the travel. So they're spending just as much percentage-wise as we are. Yeah, it's funny you say that. The the hardest part is actually going backwards. Um, you know, because when I was working in tech um, and I was doing that kind of stuff, like I was making significantly more money. Um, I, I would say more than double what I'm making now. So my lifestyle was very different. And then having to adjust backwards, um, you know, because I, at, at one point I, I made a choice to do something that made me happy versus something that made me money. Um, I took more than a 50% pay cut in order to do that. And although I'm happier, I definitely had to, there was like, it was like a year for me to readjust everything. You know, like it's simple stuff too, like having to buy different food or, going out to eat less or actually food was probably the biggest thing um, for me anyway, um, just because I, I had to be much more careful about how and where I spent money. So I couldn't just randomly go, Hey, let's go have a $150 dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go back to like looking and going, okay, this is, this is how much, uh, exactly. okay, probably, not, probably not valuable for me enough for me to spend $20 right now. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the reasons I love the bank that I use that simple. Mm-hmm. Because when I allocate stuff to bills and stuff like that, it removes it from my my balance. Sure. So I'll ha- I have what they call a, a safe to spend balance, and safe to spend balance is the money that's not allocated to some excuse me to something else. Mm-hmm. So anytime I'm in a situation like that, I can just pop up the widget. You know, it'll be like uh, eight hundred dollars safe to spend. Okay, I have plenty of money. I can buy food right now. For- yeah. Unnecessary food that is. I'm sure. not that impoverished, but <laughs> unnecessary food. Oh, well, you know, unnecessary food is like ice cream. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Boba tea, lamb, boba tea. I know, I know. Unnecessary food. 
it's funny because I have I have tears of sacrifice and um, like boba is definitely one of those things that's on that list. Like if I'm not if if financially I'm having a tougher time, then I always sacrifice boba first. Um, and there's tiers like that's like tier one, and then there's tier two, tier three. Like coffee is like tier four, and then tier five is like basic food. Like I have to eat something. That is one of the few places where I happen to be very lucky with having removed so many vices from my life mm-hmm. that my my income or my my spending is so much more secure now mm-hmm. in the sense, you know, like cigarettes. It used to be $5 a day at least, right? Well, sure. at a certain point, it got up to like $8 a day, probably what it is now or 10 Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So 5 to $10 a day, uh, coffee. Five to seven dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was there? Alcohol. Oh, mm. alcohol is a big one. Yeah, that would be like two hundred dollars a week sometimes. Oh, yeah, I mean, without breaking a sweat. I mean, it's yeah. it's easy to spend that on alcohol, actually. Not not counting the wrecking crew days when it was oh, far far God. more. Jesus, I was just thinking about that the other day. Like considering how much more. Like that's when I was still working in tech. You know what I mean? Like I was I was wrecking crew back then um and god i would spend i mean i remember there was a month where i probably spent like two thousand dollars on alcohol it was ridiculous oh yeah it's kind of it's kind of sad when you think about it you know like you're like now you're going hmm how am i gonna buy this thing that you know like oh i need to fix this thing on my computer i can't pay for that right now i gotta Mm -hmm. wait a few months and you're like "Hmm, if i only had all that money that i pissed into a urinal sure (laughs) <laughs> but you know, I, I I try not to do that just because I know that there's there's an experience associated with that that was important to a certain chapter of my life. So I you know I try not to look back with regret. Um, I don't look Definitely back. Definitely not anger, true. Cigarettes know. though. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's yeah. But we've had a lot of great conversations. They would have on porches. Yeah, I know. But it's it, it was a it was a different feeling. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, sorry, drinking water again. You. That's twice in a row. <laughs> You've got me with water in my mouth. Yeah, I seem to get, but I, I seem to be doing that a lot more. Like my timing on that's really good, I, or or really bad, depending on how you look at it. We're losing our rhythm. We're losing our rhythm. Well, I feel like it's because you're establishing rhythms with so many different people um, that that now, like your your cadences from person to person, like they take a little bit to to adjust to. You know what I mean? Which is about right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I believe it. Oh man, I'm looking through the Instagram and I'm like, there's so many things in here that I haven't talked about, but I don't really want to talk about any of them. So tell me, tell me what it was like to do an interview again. I was a little nervous, to be honest, because I thought yeah. it was going to be rusty. Sure, um, but we got we got lucky in the sense that um, her having been in a metal in a black metal band and me having just read a book about the history of black metal. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, back in the day, me listening to all of that music as well, we got to start there, and I think it just broke the conversation in for both of us. Yeah, and then it was smooth sailing from there. And I think that, you know, along the theme of getting better at stuff, when it comes to interviews, I think that that's like tantamount for my style is to find that one foothold, and then I'm fine. After that one foothold, I just need that beginning foothold. Yeah, sure. And, you know, like everybody has different, we've, we talked in the past about uh, Cal Newport. Everybody has like a different style of how to get a conversation rolling. And Mm -hmm. to me, mine is get that first foothold, have that one thing 
that breaks the person into and myself as well into a conversation and out mm-hmm. of an interview format. Yeah. If I can find a topic that the person is passionate about or that they want to talk about, then once they start talking, they'll do like what we talk about a lot where we forget we're recording. Uh, yep. If you can get them into that place, then you're good for the next two hours. Man, I don't even care that we're recording anymore. I don't even oh, think, don't about, think it. about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think about it at all. When you, yeah, especially like this is my third episode. Well, actually, technically my fourth episode recorded this week. So I literally don't even think about it at all anymore. It's, mm. it's like a phone call for me. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, by the way, speaking of fourth episodes, I recorded... Um, we, I guess we could go to that when we go to challenge. We'll get back to that. Never mind. Stick around for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. What I was about to say. <laughs> oh, the mood is so weird in the morning. Such yeah, a I feel like feel. I feel like we're moving a lot faster. Strange. I feel like we're going nowhere yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, going nowhere fast is probably the better way to describe it. Like I feel like we're we've, a lot more words have been said. Um, but I feel like in the morning you have like this tendency to want to 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 recap the week because you don't have the ability to recap the day yet. You know? Yeah, I think yeah, mornings are less less introspective. They're more yeah, sure. kind of like uh, analytical almost. Outrospective. That's not even a word. I like it though. That should be a word. Outrospective. We shall define it today. Use this word henceforth. <laughs> henceforth. Henceforth. I like uh, that was, word. Uh, in reading the Secret Garden, mm-hmm. uh, Mary. God, her name is so. Her name's not Mary. Frances Hodgson Burnett. Hard name to remember for some reason for me. Yeah. Um, the Francis Hodgson Burnett book. And she talks about uh, how like the servant people speak Yorkshire. Mm. And what's really strange about it, I, I think the book was written in the 1800s, early 1800s, like 1818 or something like that. Um, watch, I'll be off by 100 years. <laughs> like actually, Chad, it was 1911. Oops. Uh, well, like you used to be fond of saying, we're not an informational show. Yes, don't take anything to be truth. Uh, but anyways, she talks about Yorkshire and the way that the you know I was listening to the audio book I told you before. Karen Gillian's reading it, and hearing her voice when they do the Yorkshire is really weird because it sounds. I don't, it's obviously not modern Yorkshire, but it was modern Yorkshire when the book was written. Mm-hmm. It sounds like um, not Shakespearean, but almost almost like Thor in the comics. Not in the movies, because he talks like a normal dude. But you remember in the comics, he would use a lot of thous and these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his, you know, was always written in script instead of, you know, comic sans like every other character. Yep. That's how the Yorkshires talked. Like, get thee down. Like, whoa. Did they really talk? I assume they really talked like that then. Mm, that's, that is really strange. But that it was... So when we, as Americans, when we when we make jokes about like henceforth and thee thou, it's always snooty and upper class. Mm-hmm. But for them, the these and the thous of the Yorkshire was mm-hmm. lower class. Oh, weird. So like the language had moved beyond that, but yeah. these people were still speaking archaic. Mm. That's interesting, right? Yeah, that is really weird. It'd I would be like guess that. How did you, you know, find this? Out? How did you find this out, by the way? Just by reading the book. Uh, okay. You know, you just put it together where it's, you know, like, okay, well, the, the 
rich people, the educated rich people in this book, aren't mm-hmm. using these and nows. Sure. But the poor people are. So that means that they, they're getting it from, I would, what I would guess Church. is they, yes, exactly. They're getting mm-hmm. it from the Bible. Yep. And whereas the educated people are reading other books. Sure. And the poorer people are only getting, probably not even reading the Bible. They're hearing the Bible read to them mm. in, you know, in their churches. So that's what their concept of language is. And obviously, given that the church had a different value to people at the time, people would probably, I don't know, well, yeah, use it more. England had a very peculiar relationship with churches in general. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, there's, there's definitely, you know, like towns were built around churches, but I don't know how to explain the difference. You know, like Catholic countries, like the religion would kind of like permeate everything. But then in England, like mm-hmm. the Church of England, it was very different. Like the, the churches would build, you know, you'd build a parsonage around a church. And that was something you new. Know, everybody went to church, but it wasn't like this permeated thing. Like they didn't talk about religion a lot. Mm-hmm. Is is very separated, and it probably had, you know it makes sense. You know, you had this king who kicked out the church and created his own, so there was probably always this separation because of that. Sure, but it wasn't really a separation of church and state; it was a separation of church and church. Yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely the opposite of a separation of church and state. No, I mean a separation between the people and their. Oh, religion. sure, yeah, 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 yeah. The what disconnect there? between the two, yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Their religion was it was a little bit separated from them, in mm-hmm. the, that, like I said, it didn't permeate everything. You know, they would use the these and nows in the book, but there's very, uh, I don't think there's one reference to religion once in the book. Mm. So it's very, I mean, all, all this is speculation, but this is just kind of what what seems to be when I'm reading the book. But it's it's always fascinating to catch on to those little things. Where you're like, hmm, what does that mean? What is what is that lead out? Why why are they, why are they talking like that? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that. Like, imagine you know, if you had uh, a homeless person. Well, I won't say a homeless person, but you have your maid because these are servants in the book. You have a maid that comes to your house, and they're talking like George Washington. You know, they're, they're using the language that that they used in 1776. Yeah. That would be strange, right? It's also really weird that the American accent developed so fast, actually, now that I think about it that way. Yeah. I've, you know, I mean, the American the American accent, as we understand it, is actually a relatively new thing in, in the scope of human history. Well, yeah, you had the influence of the French, and I think the French were a huge, a huge influence in, in switching that in America. Mm-hmm. But then it, it's... There was, there's still some connection in the East Coast accent. Mm-hmm. The East Coast accent, in some way, is a derivative of that because they used to have. I can't remember what it's called. I want to say trans trans transatlanticism. There's there's a. I'm gonna Google that. There was there's a name for the language that they used to use in old movies. Mm-hmm. Sounded vaguely English, and I. I want to say it's transatlanticism. It's it's a word that nobody wants to say. Transatlanticism. Um, I can't Google it right now. It's just too much. I don't have well, even even beyond that, the West Coast accent is actually remarkably new. 
Right. That's the the weird space of traveling across the country and being removed from that because you know technically the west was uneducated Mm -hmm. so they were speaking probably terrible english oh sure i mean yeah i mean if we're looking at it from that context then most of our most of our version of the language comes from cowboys yeah which i don't even know where the hell that comes from uh being stuck in the middle of nowhere by yourself trying to survive for it's definitely not connected to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it is a little bit. Maybe, but I, I can't really see the the connection. Um, well, because I, I think about where the drawl, the southern drawl, comes from. You know what I mean? Like, and and how that because that that inherently became the western version um, of cowboy language. I mean, that's that's probably what it's most akin to, anyway. And so, so the version that I speak now. I mean, I have plenty of friends from ta- Texas, so when I talk to them, it's it's it sounds almost like a different language in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I found it. Mm. The mid-Atlantic accent or transatlantic accent is an accent of English blending together prestigious American and British English ways of speaking adopted in the early 20th century, mostly by American aristocrats and actors. It is a non-native vernacular or regional American accent. Instead, according to voice and drama professor Dudley Knight, it is an affected speech set of speech patterns whose chief quality was that no American actually spoke it unless educated to do so. Oh, weird. So like if you went to highfalutin schools in Boston, Mm -hmm. Connecticut, probably Connecticut more than Boston, they would teach you this. I do like that you use the word highfalutin though. Highfalutin. Highfalutin. That's a cowboy word. Them highfalutin people from New York. Yahoos. I think the... I, I was introduced to this concept in watching the Natalie Portman masterclass when she was breaking down the accent that she used in the Jackie Kennedy biopic. Mm-hmm. I always feel weird every time I say biopic, like I'm saying the wrong word. Biopic? Biopic? You're mm. biopic. Biopic. Yeah, so basically the transatlantic accent. No, that's that's not it. Yeah, I don't know what well, that was. It was it's 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 hard to do because it's you got to go back and watch old movies because it's like it's like an amalgam. There's a lot of all oh, oh, like the English alls on vowels, but then it's it's almost um yeah, I don't know how to We need to, we need to find it. a good example of it and share it on the Instagram or something cuz I don't even know what the hell you're talking about now and I I'm a big accent guy. Yeah, let me see. Hold on. We will make it happen right now, live on the show. How's that? Beep, boop, boop, beep. We're going to use the, the, the Google machine? Fuck Google. No. I <laughs> Try to trick me there. <laughs> I almost had you. No, I didn't. You, you immediately reacted well to that. All right. Let's see if people can hear this. Well, is she going to use it or is she just going to talk about it? Uh, I don't like that. That pisses me off. Mm, I should have vetted it. Oh, Catherine Hepburn is a perfect example. Hmm. Hopefully we don't get any copyright dings for what I'm about to do. 
Yep. Well, there goes that idea. Okay. I suppose you'll still be attracted to any man of spirit, though. Oh. Really now I kind of know what you're talking about. The mail than the, uh, Wait for her. Wait for her. Really? Really. We're very vain, you know. This citadel can and shall be taken, and I'm the boy to do it. You seem quite contemptuous of me all of a sudden. Yeah, that rally, rally. That's a yeah, perfect yeah, example yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And now, I, now I totally know what you're talking about. Yes. We haven't done that before on the show. Yep. It may, we may be able to have a, an episode about what it's like to get a copyright ding. Bing. Huh. I doubt it. There's not enough people listening to this. Yeah, I was going to say someone would have to be paying attention. In uh, whatever that. I really doubt it, Chad. Yes, that's it right there. You know, There's that. no way anyone's going to copyright dig us because nobody cares. Quick, quick, quick. Quick. Hit the button. Yeah, there was the, you know, the, there was like the reporter talk too, right? Which was a little bit faster. But like, let's get going. This week on the show, Random Madassery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, know, I, I now know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's mid Atlantic or transatlantic accent. Transatlanticism. What's fascinating is I was not aware that it was non regional, which mm. means that it is complete affectation. Jeez. That is arrogant as shit. <laughs> Which is uh, very um, very American in its own way. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense. It's very defiant. It's, no, we're not going to use it your way. We're going to take what we like about yours and use it our way kind of thing. Well, I think it's akin to, uh, in a way, the way that when we do movies about Greece or Rome or something like that, they always speak with British accents. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I told, did I tell you that story? I got kicked out of a um, theater production of uh, Julius Caesar because I did uh, Mark Antony with a uh, like an Italianish accent. Mm-mm. Yeah, um, I was. It was did back you like in my New York Italian. Did you like? Hey, no, oh, no, hey, hey, friends, Romans, countrymen, let me yeah. your fucking ears. No, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but I, but I did it. Uh, God, I was like nineteen at the time, and I was, I was an arrogant little punk, and I was like. None of these guys should have English accents, guys. To which I'm closer to the microphone. None of these guys had English accents, guys, and and you know it, it's really weird and disingenuous. And the, I had arguments with the director, and the director was saying, "Yeah, but it's written by an English guy, so it's meant to be a stage play performed by English people for English people." So yes, they did have English accents. And so for the first night's performance, I did Mark Antony mostly with an Italian accent. And at the end of the show, he's like, "Great accent, you're fired." <laughs> <laughs> so that was short-lived and hilarious but i i still hold that to be one of like my proudest moments in theater um because i defied i defied the director and did what i thought was right and in in context it probably like listening to me versus everybody else because i didn't tell anyone i was going to do it i went out on stage and just started doing it and uh the rest of the actors just looked at me like i was out of my mind and rightfully so i was out of my mind um so yeah, um, that's 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 my accent story. Well, see, the weird part to me about the British accent thing is it's fine with me. Mm-hmm. If, you know, like uh, we're making Troy or um, Gladiator, right? If the person who's speaking with the British accent is British, I'm fine with that. You know why? Because I'm aware that they're not actually speaking Roman. Sure. And so they're British. They're British. But what me- weirds me out is when. Troy is my example here. 
I think it was Troy, the one with was Brad Pitt and Troy. Yeah, Brad Pitt was in Troy. Yeah. Okay. Or was that Colin uh, Farrell? I don't know. Or both. I think they're both in it. Oh no, Eric okay. Bana. Mm. I don't know. It was a shitty movie. Anyways, he good, good fight scene though. He fakes a British accent. Like, yeah, that's weird to me. Like speaking I, I, American. Know, well, not only that, but his British accent isn't particularly good either. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's like a why it's like doing triple wrong on that one but yeah. i get why though it's for the sake of continuity like everybody should have the same accent if they're from the same region kind of thing so i understand I that part alert. of it i think we could suspend our disbelief and just I, accept uh, that like this person speaks that way for a because, good movie maybe not for a shitty one <laughs> yeah it's just I, I just think it's stupid i can't remember what movie it was I'm, i might have to look this up um are you aware of the actress fiona shaw uh who is that she plays the wicked aunt of Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Okay. She was also in a wonderful Irish movie called Butcher Boy, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorites. There was something that she was in. So she's Irish. And so she obviously has an Irish accent. There's something that I saw her in where she's married to an Irishman, but they make her fake a British accent. I'm like, why didn't you just make her character fucking Irish? And then sure. she could just use her normal... Because there's nothing in the plot that made it important that she was British. Mm. And I think that that's just really bad direction when you have that. It's, okay, I want this character to be English. Why? What's the importance to that? If you don't have an answer to that question, then don't fucking do it. Well, do you think that's just sticking with some kind of convention that's, you know, like the the idea of everyone having the same accent to maintain like a, a world continuity in that? But they didn't have the same accent. The husband was Irish and spoke with an Irish accent and the character was oh, decidedly oh, 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 Irish. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that makes no sense. So they could have literally rewritten her character to be Irish and then she could have just used her normal accent. Hmm. But instead they kept the character, or I shouldn't say kept... Um, unless it had like source material, but even if it had source material, interpret. Yeah, sure. Because if I can't see it in the script, why she's English, then there's no, absolutely no reason for it. Yeah, it seems like an odd creative choice. Yeah, I can't remember for the life of me what it was. I'm I'm looking through the list of things, but none of them are clicking. Mm. But yeah, it was very strange. I was watching it. And I'm like, this. It's just it sounds stupid. Sure. Especially since she's a, especially over, as they say, across the pond, she's a really well-known actress. Yeah. So everybody's very aware of the fact that she's Irish. Sure. Hmm. They do weird shit. Oh, maybe it was, was it Tree of Life? No. No, it wasn't Tree of Life. That was a, barely a plot in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that? The Terrence Malick film, Tree of Life? Uh, it's like 40 I didn't, minutes I, of watching I didn't, volcanoes. I didn't make it through that movie i was told that it was wonderful so i went and i watched it and there were parts definitely beautiful parts but i was really bored i am gonna say this he's like a large venture to me and don't get me wrong he large venture has produced fantastic work don't get me wrong but i wouldn't go that far large venture is garbage he's, he's produced decent work but he's vastly overrated um and i feel like terrence malick is the same for me he's just overrated man i think he's a decent director i don't think he's i think he's an elitist shithead but you know um I mean, that's unfair. Maybe he's a cool guy. I don't know anything about him. Um, but the movies are definitely pretentious beyond a point that I can tolerate. Badlands was pretty incredible. I don't know if yeah. you ever saw that. Yeah, I mean, that was Thin pretty Red good. Line was not that good. Thin Red, Red Line, Thin Red Line was so obnoxious to me. 
but so yeah, obnoxious. I think his first, technically his first two films, Badlands and Days of Heaven, mm-hmm. those are both fantastic films. After that, mm, there's a lot that I haven't seen. So well, I there's, really that say. was before people told him he was awesome. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it was 70s cinema, and 70s cinema was hot shit. Yep. There was some fantastic shit going on in the 70s in cinema. Yeah. Especially in America. I agree. That was our time. Oh, the good old days before we remade everything and people had original ideas and had the courage to write them. And then people had the courage to put money into them and produce them, even though they were edgy. Uh, it goes, it goes in waves. I, it goes in waves. I think it'll be back. I think, art, I think art works that way. We're in a trough, but it'll be back. I, the audience will have to forgive me for using this word, but uh, we're in pussy cinema phase. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, we're in money-making phase. Literally. And that's yeah. why they remake everything, because it's a safe bet. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or sequels of sequels of sequels, like the new Shaft movie. I don't. I just don't understand why, that one. Why even? Like, the first one fucking sucked. Why would you do another one? I actually didn't hate the first one. I thought it was terrible, but I mean, I didn't think it was the worst movie. I didn't think it was the best movie ever, but I didn't think it was garbage either. Um, it wasn't the way some of the remakes have been. Warrant a remake. I mean, a a sequel. Yeah, sure. But you're right, cash grab. And I don't think it made that much money. So, like, I don't even understand why. I don't. Even, yeah, well, I that mean. one might literally be a pet project of somebody. Like Samuel Jackson just might really want to be Shaft again. You know, that's what I mean? true. That's true. Those old Shaft movies were the best, though. Just the best super, and the worst. Super the exploitative. <laughs> they were just so unique. Yeah, it's just I mean, different. It was a different time, man. Well, there was no such thing as like black cinema then. Yeah, sure. So, like, that was even though, you know, we call it exploitation or whatever, because, you know, like everybody was a pimp or a hoe. Um, the thing about it was. <laughs> You weren't really going to see black characters anywhere else unless there were slaves in like some Civil War remake. You know, the fifth time that we yeah, sure. made a movie about the 50th time we made a movie about the fucking Civil War. But there wasn't, you know, there wasn't that much. You know, we have all of these people like, uh, what's the, Peel, um, Jordan Peel. Is it Jordan Peel? No. Um, is it, I think it is Jordan Peel. You have him. You have, uh, what's, what's the guy that makes all of those Medea movies? Uh oh my god, what's his Tyler name? Tyler Perry. There we Tyler go. Tyler Perry, there you go. So you have all of these producers, directors, writers now that are African American, but back then you didn't. Yeah, that's true. So you didn't have or you know, like in the, the 90s and early two thousands when you had all those I'll call them hip hop movies, you know, like where you had like Spike rap- Lee and yeah. Well you had no, I mean uh rappers putting money into movies you know oh like yeah a, yeah 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 sure you know where it's just a vehicle for the rapper yeah you know like here's a movie with uh 50 cent mm-hmm. um here's a movie with ice cube sure. um it, it just vehicles for the for the fame um barbershop right mm-hmm. things, things like that friday which not i'm not saying these movies are good or bad some of them are good some of them are awful but that was really like the first real push for black cinema mm-hmm. and at, at uh, least on that level yeah when black, that, cinema, when black cinema black directors and black actors became normalized yeah before that all you had was exploitation that's all you had so all you had was shaft all you had was foxy brown mm-hmm. that's all you had sure 
So I, I, I can imagine why even those, those movies are terrible, that they play an important role, mm-hmm. especially if you're an African-American, uh, especially at that time. Like, yeah. hey, here's the hero is a black guy. Yeah, and he looks like you. Holy shit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not like some, you know, like uh, like I said, the, the, if, if a black character was a hero before, he was an escaped slave or something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. here's a guy, a modern guy. That's the hero. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand like somebody like Samuel L. Jackson going, yeah, we're going to do Shaft. Why? Just because Shaft is historically important. Sure. And even though like the movies aren't great, it's important to him or something like that. I could see that. Well, I, I think to the the at least in the the I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak that con- that that competently about it. But um, there was plenty of stuff that I saw about how modern safetyism and stuff like that was starting to enter the equation, and how different it was to the different generations of Shaft. And I think that's part of the reason why this one. I mean, sure, it's a cash grab, and and sure, that's probably the biggest motivator. But there, but all three generations of shafts are in this one, and that wasn't the case with the first one um, that Samuel Jackson was in. It was just primarily him, and then the actor that played Shaft. God, I forget his name. I feel really bad about that. Um, um, it's it's the same guy that played Hightower, isn't it? Yeah, Richard. Um, no, 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 no. Sorry, um, it's Richard Roundtree. Oh, Roundtree. That's right. Um, but in this one, he plays a much more prominent role. So all three generations of shafts are... Who's the third generation? His son's in this one. Whose son? Uh, Samuel Jackson's character's son is in this one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So there's a third generation of shaft and, you know, he's very considerate of women. He's, you know, uh, more socially liberated in that sense, uh, more quote unquote woke, even though I hate that term with a passion. It's a stupid Um, term. It's infuriating on many levels, but um, the, his characters in there, and obviously the 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 understanding that the other shafts have about you know gender roles and all that kind of stuff is vastly different because there's such a ge- huge generational gaps between each one. So that actually makes the story interesting to me, um, just to see how they all see it differently, um, and they they play on that a little bit throughout the course of the movie too as well. So it's it's fun in that respect. Um, so for that reason alone, I kind of want to check it out just to, to to see how they treated that. You know, it's interesting you bring up the term woke. Um, I was listening to something a couple months ago where they were talking about how the use of the the current use of the word woke mm-hmm. is akin to another another example of white people stealing something from black people. Sure. Woke was specifically a term that referred to being aware of things going on within the black community. Mm-hmm. You know, problems going on, classism, racism, all yeah. these things going on. And then it was co-opted by everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I, I can imagine being pissed off like, no, 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 no. Woke is woke was our word. And now that's why it sounds stupid when, when other people say it now. Because it's sure. not your word. Yeah. You, you, you co-opted that word. You, Elvis Presley, the blues. Huh. What am I looking at here? Oh, my favorite word. There's my favorite word. Microaggression. Mm-hmm. I love that word. Oh God, I hate that word. Speaking of stupid words, ah, it speaks mm. to so much of what I don't like about the current progressive landscape, and I and I consider myself to be a progressive. So I mean, speaking of that, I want to go. When you said safetyism, I didn't really connect what you meant when you were saying safetyism and shaft. 
I didn't connect to what you meant there. What do you mean? Where, where did you? Where was the connection to safetyism? You said there wasn't safetyism when they did the the first movie or the second movie. What did? Well, there wasn't. There wasn't really a safe space the same way that there is now. Um, God, I don't even know how to define this properly. You know, like people could just say shit. It's like how you can't say things as a comedian these days. Mm. How how I, I, for example... You mean political correctness. Yeah, political correctness, essentially. Like how I'm even afraid to say these things out loud as a liberal because I feel like the purity police will come after me. You know what I mean? Fuck the purity police. Let them come after me. I know, I know. But I live in a different world than you do. (laughs) Well, I do and I don't. I don't know. I I feel like I, I could get in more trouble... Uh, quicker than you can, I guess, is the better way for me to put it. God, I hope we outgrow this phase soon. We're fucking really, this oversensitivity is it's fucking so, ridiculous, dude. It's so exhausting. And considering the the political circles that I have to run in, um, it, it's something that I have to be so mindful of. And it's absolutely exhausting because a I didn't grow up that way, and b I don't care to adapt to that because I think it's inherently bullshit. Well, I think I, I, my personal opinion is, regardless of times and things like that. It's important for everybody to grow a thick skin. Absolutely. I agree. Because not because it's of social acceptability, not because of anything to do with society, but because that's how you grow to be a better person is by growing a thick skin and taking things people say for the best instead of for the worst. Sure. Absolutely. I because agree. when you when you take things that people say for the worst, guess what you are? Our favorite word on this show. You're an asshole. Yeah. And you know, like if, if I came into the conversation with you and everything you said, I was like, what do you mean by that, Lamb? I'd be uh, a fucking asshole. Yeah, you'd be a dickhead, sure. And we wouldn't and even be, be doing the worst this podcast because there's, there's no way. I, we should try an episode like that just to see how horrifying it is. Oh, let's do it for five minutes right now. Ready? It's, wait, wait, wait. Before, before you do that, hold on. The guy who's working on the hardwood just knocked on the door. Give me a second. That asshole. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you mean, Chad? <laughs> Waiting, waiting, waiting for the sun. Dude, do we have to do that experiment? Why? Yeah, is it gonna stress you out? Well, I'm just <laughs> surrounded by that all the time. What do you I mean, mean by that, Lamb? <laughs> am I stressing you out, Chad? Am I triggering you? Are you saying that liberal democracy is stressful? Mm. Are you saying that politics? Or something that, that you can just throw away at a moment's notice. Oh my God! See, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not five minutes is too long. I, I want, I kind of want to throw up already. <laughs> ugh, I am throwing up. And hey, for everybody listening, we can also do the other side of the equation, which is being complete racist, ignorant, uh, sexist, inconsiderate assholes as well. And neither of those are pretty. Sure. We like the middle. We like to be in the middle, a little bit, a well, little bit pushing can, the boundaries of each side, right? You, you know, know what I, mean? I, you know what I like, common sense. That's just what common I mean. sense. I don't the even care. Path. Yeah, I don't even care about it being extreme. I just want common fucking sense. That's you know, like uh, I like to to think of it like a ping pong ball, or mm-hmm. you know, a little rubber ball that you bounce between two walls. Boom, 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 boom. It bounces back. To me, the extremes are on the other side of the wall. Yeah. That you bounce against the wall just to remember where the wall is. Where every once in a while you say something like I said, where, where I use the word pussy just to see what would happen. Yeah. And then I get a little Pure, feedback. Purely as an experiment. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what? I didn't say that to offend anyone. I even apologized before I said it. Anybody that takes offense to that, 
fuck them. You know, like too bad. Yeah, sure. And the the thing is, it's in the middle. Is is intent is important outside the walls, in the extremes, in the fringes. Intent mm-hmm. means nothing. Sure. And I don't want to live in a world where intent means nothing. No, I want to. I want to live in a world where where words have the consequence they're supposed to have. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for me is just not not being able to to use my words anymore. I know that sounds odd, but that's that's what I feel like these days. Well, it's it's kind of like think about. Um, remember, was it Sixteen Candles? Was that the one that I'm thinking? Uh, I might be confusing two foreign exchange students. Uh, well, yeah, I am. I can't remember. It's not Long Duck Dong that I was thinking of. Which, by the way, you would have so much trouble getting away with a character called Long Duck Dong in a movie now. There's no way that would exist these days. Um, and there's a and there's a shame in that. Yeah, because he was actually a great character. Yeah, it was hilarious. He wasn't and, like and a he was, Asian stereotype. Well, he was the proper kind of exploitative in the sense that it was pointing out something. Um, I don't know. I, I I I feel I feel very specific about Long Duck Dong. I know that's the, one of the weirder sentences I've said on the show. Um, <laughs> but but I definitely feel like a, a character like him no longer has room to exist in the modern landscape, and that's really that's really shitty. It is shitty because he. I mean, I can understand like hey, if you, especially if you're Chinese. Having a problem with a character like Mr. Chow, mm-hmm. big buck teeth, um, Mr. Chow, Mr. Chow, you're like horrible accent, mm-hmm. like sl- the most slanted eyes you could. Have. I would be totally offended if I was Chinese by that. Sure, and that's yeah, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, yeah, you're offended by that. You should be because that's fucking that is racist. That's straight up racist. Yeah, but Long Duck Dong is not. No. Long I mean, it's a, Dong is just a foreign exchange student, and the humor of the of the movie around him is the fact that he doesn't speak English. Not that mm-hmm. he's Asian. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I feel like there's still a place in the world for for social commentary in such a way that, like, like for example, we've talked about this both in person and in private many, many times. Um, like how how Mel Brooks movies could not be made these days because people don't have a a, a comprehensive enough sense of fucking humor to be able to accept that those things are fucking jokes and they're meant to point out a social wrong. Right. Yeah. We have, we have problems with emotional complexity. Oh, it's so obnoxious because that's, I mean, what, what is the great equalizer when it comes to that kind of stuff, right? It's got to be comedy. We have to be able to laugh about this stuff so we can look at it in such a way that, that, that is comprehensive. Well, comedy, you know, like, yeah, there's comedy no, there's, is what breaks the surface. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's what cracks the ice so that you can get to the shit underneath it. You know, if 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 it wasn't for comedy, we would never, you know, if we had to go straight into serious conversation about everything, mm-hmm. things would be worse than they are now. Well, which wow. is why, by the way, I have this weird faith in, in Coming to America being a decent movie, the new one, the Coming to America 2, because I want, I want someone, Eddie Murphy being the guy in this case, to be brave enough to go, you know what, dude? Fuck that shit. I am going to poke at all of this stuff from the lens of of comedy in such a way that that I can get a complete feel of it. You know what I mean? Well, he kind of has to. In just That's the point. That, That's the whole fucking to. point. Exactly. He's doing a bad African accent. And, and that's the main character. And you can't really do a sequel to that movie without the character doing the bad African accent. That is correct. And I can't, and I can't wait for that to be... I, I don't know. I just there's a part of me that has a lot of faith that that's going to be actually a really good movie with some really in, important and intelligent themes to it. Well, anybody that has 
is familiar with Eddie Murphy's stand-up knows that coming to America essentially comes mm-hmm. out of a joke that you probably couldn't tell anymore. Yep. Goona goo goo, Gus. Remember that? Oh, it's yeah. like, I want a zebra riding bitch. You know, like that was the joke. Mm-hmm. That's where it came from. Yep, absolutely. You know, obviously Eddie Murphy pushed some boundaries that I don't necessarily agree with. Is some of his comedy was pretty homophobic. Mm-hmm. But at the time, nobody cared. Yeah. Doesn't mean it was okay, but at the time, nobody gave a shit. Yeah, the world changes. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely think that there are things that you you shouldn't joke about the way that you did. But I still, I still almost... I almost don't agree with that for myself. Yeah, it's a, you know it's I mean? a weird thing to judge the past. And I, I try not to ever judge the past because... You know, other than, you know, like slavery, the Holocaust, things like that. I can judge those things. Like, yeah, awful. Always will be. That will perpetually be shitty. Sure. But judging language and and comedy of the past. Nope. Not going to do it. Yep. Can't do it. No way. Um, The reason I brought up Long Duck Dong, though, is I was was confusing. I was conflating two things together. Mm -hmm. Um, Not conflating. I was melding two things together. There's another movie, which I have no idea what it is right now. Where there's a German, I think, German exchange student, and they teach him English, but they only teach him to say like awful things. Hmm. Um, like, you're a bitch, or uh, you know, I can't remember. It's like a lot of like uh, lewd stuff to women, you know, like, come sure. sit on my lap and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, but the reason I bring that up is that's an example of where a very clear example where people should be able to see intent. This guy is saying awful words. We'll sure. say they're worse. Say, say you had a foreign exchange student and you taught him to say the N-word. Mm-hmm. You taught him to... Every racial epithet. You just That's all you taught him. So he was walking around saying those things. Is he a bad person? No, he has no context. Exactly. He, his intent is to speak English. Yeah. And someone told him that was English. And technically, yes, it is English. Sure. Uh, but his intent is not to be racist. So the words don't matter. The intent do, or the intent does. That's actually a fantastic analogy. And I really think it's that clear in every case. You know, the only time it gets more gray is where the intent is gray. Like, maybe, yeah, your intent was that, but maybe just a little bit of this too. Sure. Um, Here's a a great story that I don't know. Hopefully I haven't told this on a show before. I'm not sure. I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be... I said, you know, fuck the, the polite police or whatever. I'm going to push the boundaries right now because I'm going to use a word that I don't like to use. But mm-hmm. I have to use it in order to tell this story. I am not a racist. I don't like using this word. But I'm going oh, to... Oh, no. I'm going to use the N-word in this story. <laughs> oh, no. Because I have to. Because otherwise, the story does not make sense. And you will understand why I am repeating the words of someone else. These are not my words. So I had a friend who was from Sudan. He, is a, he was about 5'4", five, 5'4", four, five, four little black man. He was a firecracker. He was hilarious. His name was Tayeb. Just a fantastic human being. One of the happiest people you could ever meet. Sidebar, unfortunately, he had this... He was very smart. Very, very smart. He had this huge education in Sudan. But when he came over here, none of it meant anything. So he was stuck driving a taxi. Sucks. Very Mm. educated man. But he was just so much fun to be around. And we used to go to the city. Um, Him, me, and two other friends. They were uh, two other Armenian friends. 
And the three of us will go. There was a Middle Eastern restaurant in on Haight-Ashbury, in the Haight-Ashbury area. And we would go there and we would just eat dinner. But then at like 8 or 9 o'clock, they would stop serving the food, basically. And then they would start playing music and people would dance. And the, our two Armenian friends were learning to play the hand drums, the tablas. So they would bring those and they would play the music along with the, you know, the music that's playing over the system. And people would dance and it was just so much fun. And um, so, but we would go all the way to the city, San Francisco for people listening from San Jose is about an hour. So we drive all the way up there. Well, on the way back one time, we stopped in, I have no idea where, but we stopped in at a 7-Eleven to get cigarettes. And we were in like a predominantly black neighborhood. And the reason I knew this is we went to 7-Eleven and I was the only white person in the 7-Eleven. <laughs> and you know, it's not a big deal, whatever. Sure. Um, but I'm in there with Taeb, this you know, 5'4", five, five, <laughs> little man. And he has a strong accent. And he looks over at me and here's where the word comes in. He goes, Chad, you are my nigger. And I, was, and I looked around. There's, like I said, I'm the only <laughs> white person in there. And I'm like, shut up. Do not say that word. And he's like, why? I said, somebody's going to hear you. Fuck them. And I said, no, don't say it because they're going to think you have an accent. They're going to think I taught you that word. Uh, and that's an example of intent. Uh, yeah, sure. He knew what he, he was using it in the, in the, in the, like the hip hop sense. Yeah. Like, sure. You are my, you're my homie. Yeah. You no. Know? Sure. But in that context, if someone thought I taught him that word, now it's the racist version of that word. Sure. So never thought mm. I'd use that word in a podcast. Well, but you can understand why. Yeah, totally. That makes sense, actually. The story wouldn't make sense without it, right? Because yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it hinges on that word. Sure. Yeah. Pushing boundaries. Pushing boundaries. Jeez. Yeah, you're so right, though. I mean, it, it, I, I do like the analogy, though. I mean, ultimately, I mean, what, something that, that is kind of a weird recurring theme on this show over the last couple of months is we've been talking about intent a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the, the reason why is because of our frustration with the lack of understanding of intent. Um, like, I know that's what it is for me. Like, I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm, I'm just sick and tired of people throwing intent where intent doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, if you get um, that's to a just point where people exhausting. can't speak and there's no communication, like, especially for us, we're writers, like words are so important. And if you start limiting the uses of, of words, and I don't mean like not being able to use the word that I just used there. I don't mean that. I mean, words that are normal words, but people add some kind of context to them. Sure. You start removing those things too. We don't have any communication. Try writing a book. With you know, somebody says, "Here's here's a list of sixty five words that you can't use." Write mm-hmm. a book. Sure. You're like, why 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 can't I say orange? Well, you got to understand that the history of the word orange. Fuck you. Yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't have time to think about that. Not only do I not have time to think about it, I don't care enough to think about that because it's not important to what I'm trying to write. It's it's so intent, nuance, these things that we've talked about so many times before, they're so important and we need to focus on those because that's where humanity exists. 
mm-hmm. within within the realms of intent. In the space between, and yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think what that's makes a, us not animals. Well, I think that's that, that the core of what you were talking or what we, we mentioned earlier, tongue-in-cheekish, but I mean, obviously, I feel like there's an importance to it, is that there is a space between. And I feel like you and I live in that space between because we grew up in the space between. Yeah. Though the 80s were a really weird era. Yeah, for many, many reasons. And I don't think they're all bad. I mean, that's the one thing that... that, that I, I think of think of how brave the 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 you know the comedians were at the time. You know, think of all the the issues that they they brought up, and think of how they brought them up, and how they brought them to a large scale. You know, like how do you how do you talk about racism to the the, the masses of 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 the earth? Right, bring it into comedy. That's how you do it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no better way to achieve that than than comedy. You know, and I don't care what anybody fucking says. That's just true. There's a there's a book that I'm surprised has never come up on the show before. It is one of my favorite books that was ever written. It's called Hip the History. It's by a, a man named John Leland. Mm. And essentially it is about the history of what is hip, which sounds super cheesy. It is not. It's basically a it it goes through jazz, hip hop, um punk rock, everything that was ever considered by hip by anybody, mm-hmm. and it connects it all. And one of the things that he talks about in the beginning of the book is the minstrel shows mm. that they used to have in America. And for people who don't know what a minstrel show is, a minstrel show was a white man who would put on blackface. And then he would play what we would call a hayseed. You know, like a, a dumb... If it was a white character, it would be a dumb hillbilly. But as a, a black character, it would be a dumb, educated, uneducated... In, in most cases, former slave or slave. Sure. That's where you got like mammies and stuff like that. If anybody watches old cartoons, mm-hmm. you see these horrible uh, examples of, not examples, horrible exaggerations or stereotypes of black people. That's where they came from, these minstrel shows. And But the thing about it is what he talks about in the book that's very fascinating is he says that those minstrel shows were extremely important to black culture because even though the char- the whole thing is based on racism mm-hmm. you know it's like dumb black people dumb black that's what the whole thing that's the, that whole stereotype is they're they're uneducated they're dumb and but they're also what he says is they're also good hearted characters mm-hmm. they're not they're not malicious yeah. and he says and what what you start to see is this the minstrel shows while the intent probably was originally racist what it ended up doing was breaking black people into mainstream culture oh sure because for the first time there was a black character that was the lead character in something mm. for the first time in american history interesting and he says because of that it's very important because it leads to the thing that comes after it and the thing that comes after that and the thing that comes after that. That was the first break in. And that's, I mean, you want to talk about nuance and complexity. That's pretty, that's about as complex as you can get. You're like, well, so the intent was racism, but the outcome was the opposite. Sure. In, in many ways. That's crazy. That is interesting. Because even there, you're like, whoa, well, the intent was actually bad. But it, it, in a way, it backfired mm-hmm. on those assholes. It was, uh, you know, and once again, it, you could almost say that that's trying to judge comedy in the past, too. You're like, oh, 
So, yeah, you can judge comedy in the past, I guess, where you can say, well, that, that was fucked up. Yeah, but it's tough to do in a vacuum, though. You know, like, I still think that there's something to be said for for understanding the, the core of, of the intent. I mean, and, God, we're back to intent again. That is so critical. It is. It's everything. Like, it's that and the nuance that comes from it. Sure. Those two words, I mean, the, they should be tattooed on everybody's skin. So they have to uh, look at them all the time. What's the yeah? Let's here? let's not let's not tattooing start tattooing things on people's skin. Well, maybe they should just be born with it. I'm scared of saying things like that because of where we are socially right now. It freaks me out to even think about being people being tattooed with anything. Uh, I don't. We we are in such a scary version of the world right now. I wouldn't. I don't think it's that scary. I think that it's it's a, like everything you say. It bounces back. It's a momentum forward that will devour itself and collapse and avalanche backwards. Well, the thing that concerns me, though, is that at least on that level, there is such a thing as bouncing too far. <laughs> there can be, yeah. I yeah don't, you know, I don't and that's know that's, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. Yet. Yeah, We've that's what I'm far. slightly freaked out. We've gone far into ugly places, but we were. We've been there before. To be honest, sure. yeah, I don't don't we haven't that. been before. Mm-hmm. When we go somewhere we haven't been before, then I worry. Um, if we're just you know, going back to, you know, like, for example, instead of using euphemisms, if we're, if we're doing more racist things as a country, we were even more racist in the past. Oh, sure. Um, so we got over that. We can get over this. We can move back. Um, so I don't worry about it being something that can't be fixed. I, I don't want it to happen. Well, I mean, from a practical, from a practical level, I think for me, it's a simpler, it's a simpler question and a simpler answer in the sense that we just have bigger and scarier weapons now. And that's what freaks me out. Well, I think the biggest, scariest weapon that we have right now is the inability to communicate. Yeah, I agree with that. We, we agreed not to go into politics, but I'm going to bring up something that's about a politician, but I don't want to talk about politics. What happened with um, Biden's comment about working with people who are racist? That's an example of people paying attention to the words and not paying attention to the intent. Mm-hmm. Sure. The intent was, even if you don't like somebody, we have to be able to work together because right now we don't work together at all. That was the intent. Sure. Nobody talked about that. Yeah, but Biden needed to package that differently. But once again, the intent is what matters. We should be looking at everything that everybody says with the best possible interpretation. But instead, That is not the world we live in. That's right. Not, we look I'm in a world dis- where we look for the worst. Somebody's yeah, going to get pissed off yeah. about this conversation right now. Oh, sure. And I'm I'm not disagreeing with you that that's that that's the way it shouldn't be or should be. But I'm saying that that's you're moving close and far away from the microphone over and over again. Yeah, I'm trying to adjust my legs so it doesn't pass out. Um, I'm not I'm not disagreeing that that should be or shouldn't be the way that it is. I'm saying that's not the way it currently is. I wish it were. Um, it would allow for a lot smarter conversations about this kind of stuff. But you know, I'm I'm fearful that. that the the stakes have always been high, but I feel like we can cause a lot more damage now than we ever could before. Why do you think that? Um, industrial infrastructure is part of it. Um, we have a, a, a scary and more terrifying industrial infrastructure. Um, like we have the ability to destroy the environment in in ways that we couldn't before. Um, 
we have bigger, scarier weapons. Everybody's got nuclear capability. I mean, there's just a, a myriad of things that... Well, we've that, had nuclear capability for over 50 years. Well, I understand, but now a lot more countries have nuclear capability. It's not just the big guys anymore. A lot of the little guys have them now. And and our ability to destroy each other is has never been as complete or widespread as it is right now. I'm not sure I believe that. I think that I think that it's a catastrophizing of the of the present, and that if you go back to the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were far closer than we will than we are now. Far, yeah, yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis, for people who don't know, is the closest we got to a missile actually being launched and people being nuked in all of history. Sure. And it was it was hours away from happening, literally. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that we have the tendency to look at now and think now, oh, this is the worst because we're in it. But there were times where things... Be a black person any time before today. Be a gay person any time before today. Sure. Like we, we tend to catastrophize. But in reality, even though things are ugly right now, in some ways, things are still better. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Especially and, I'm, and you and you know me, Chad. Like I'm not I'm not a catastrophizing type. You know, like I'm 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 an analytical person by nature, so I never jump to conclusions quickly or easily. But in this particular case, you know, I look at the situation with Iran and I look at how we're dealing with foreign policy and I look at Korea. Um and and although I I I don't feel like we're any Worse than we, worse off than we were during the Cuban Missile Crisis, as a good example. Um, I definitely feel like we shouldn't minimize the possibility of it either. You know what I mean? There's, there's well, two of sides of that coin. You know, um, and I think that that although we do have things are significantly better now socially than they've ever been in the history of humankind. I don't disagree with that. But by that same, but by that same assertion. Um, the, the introduction of, of nuclear weapons into the arsenal of every country has definitely changed the scope by which I think about these things. Like we're, we're always much closer to destruction than we were back then, you know, um, only because especially with the proliferation of nuclear weapons to a lot of smaller countries that, that may have itchier trigger fingers than us. Um, that's definitely something to be concerned about. And I'm not saying that, 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 I'm more or less concerned about it now than I ever was. I'm the same level of concerned. The, the, the fear that I have is not enough people are concerned and not enough people are working towards trying to find a better way to deal with the world so that we don't annihilate each other. Well, I think one of the reasons that I react strongly to the idea of catastrophizing is because I think that line of thinking is what gets us to the other line of thinking that we've been complaining about. Oh, I don't disagree. That, yeah, I don't. You know, yeah, I, I understand that. This that. Is, you know, that the world is is going to shit and all this stuff, like making it the worst possible is what is the, is the excuse that people use to hit other people in the head with bike locks. Yeah, I agree. And and you know me. I mean, I wouldn't be... I have this conversation all the time. There was a, a city council member, actually, um, that just got his, his post for the city of Campbell. And he came by um, to a coffee shop I was working at and was, we were working with this political group. And he, he had a conversation with me about what I thought, you know, why am I doing all of this? Why am I, why am I in the political spectrum the way that I am? Why am I doing such a shitty, thankless job that no one is aware that I'm doing? Um, and I told him it's because I'm hopeful that the world will correct itself. And our job 
in the political spectrum is not to correct it, but to make people aware that there's a problem so that the world can correct it. And the only way that you can do that is to have enough inherent hope in humanity to, to, to believe that enough people will realize that there is something wrong and find a solution for it. And I think that that's, that's where I come from. And I'm not catastrophizing. I just want people to know. You know what I mean? Like we have a choice right now and we always have a choice. We have a cho- We had a choice 20 years ago. We had a choice 10 years ago. We had a choice 50 years ago. You know, um, the, the choices that we had 50 years ago are very different than the choices now, but it doesn't make them any less consequential. Right. You know, uh, 50 years ago, we, we, we needed to give equal rights. Um, to to specifically in that case, the, the civil rights movement was African American led. But a hundred years before that, we had women's suffrage. You know, so mm-hmm. so every generation has its choice, has the choice to do the right thing. And I just want to make sure that enough people know that we have a choice, so that we can do the right thing. Speaking of the civil rights era, I have a recommendation. Mm. There is an NPR podcast called White Lies. It's a it's one of those limited run crime podcasts. Yep. Um, basically, I call it a mini series. It's basically a mini series. Wow. So it's about uh, there was a Episcopalian, I think, minister. He was white um, who went to the South to help in the voter registration and all that. He went to uh, Alabama in particular, and he was murdered. Oh man. And but they didn't know who did it forever. So it's kind of like Ghosts of Mississippi type thing. Um, that was about Emmett Till. Um, it is both terrifying and wonderful. It's wonderful in the sense that uh, it's put together really well. But it's terrifying in the sense that so much of that stuff is still alive. Mm-hmm. That those secrets are still being kept. Yeah, it's very good. I don't want to go too far into it because uh, it's it would ruin it. You just, it's worth listening to. I recommend it highly. It's, I think it's like uh, six or seven episodes, mm-hmm. not a ton, but very powerful and really well done. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I just listened to it yesterday. Got it. Yesterday. Oh, man, the world. Yes, the world. We're in it. And I mean, you know what? One of the hopeful things about the future is comedy, laughing, some stupid shit, being goofy. So important. That's why those words are so important. We need those words to make each other laugh. We yep. need to be able to squirt milk out of our nose. And if you take those words away, you're just making things darker. I don't like that. I don't like the darkness. I like playing with it, but I don't like living in it. It's funny how that changes, isn't it though? Like when you're when you're younger, you think the darkness makes you cool. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, you're like, fuck darkness. This sucks. <laughs> oh yeah. It's an isolated, lonely, shitty place to be. It's heavy and oppressive. Absolutely. Well, I think anybody that has gone through um, severe depression or mm-hmm. severe anxiety <laughs> no longer wants to play with the darkness, you know, like uh, wants sure. to live in the darkness because they're like, oh, I've lived in it. Yeah, it sucks. It's really, really miserable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's god awful. Yeah, that's why I focused, uh, I think, uh, we were at the party last week. I think the whole time I was there, pretty much, I talked about my dog. Yeah. Why do I talk about my dog a lot? Because he's an integral part of my life. And my focus on him being an integral part of my life keeps me out of dark places. Well, he brings you such joy, too. You can tell. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's like my child, literally. Yeah. You know, And he'll let me hold him like a baby. 
and he doesn't. You notice he never wiggles or anything. Mm-hmm. He just sits there. Yeah, he goes full dead weight on you whenever whenever you've got him. So it's one of those magical moments where um, you know the the pet and the owner were a perfect perfect pairing. Mm-hmm. But by focusing on his needs and on him as a person and making sure that him yes, as a person, I, re- <laughs> I refer to him as person. He has so much personality. There's no way I wouldn't call him a person. Yeah. Um, the even person is in personality, but you know, thinking about like, oh, like when I was uh, when my arm was hurt that first day, I was in a lot of pain, like a lot of pain. I couldn't move my arm without mm-hmm. just having this excruciating pain, and not like muscle pain. It was deep down underneath in the tendons and the bone, mm. like real pain. Yeah, uh, and I, did, I did, because of that, it takes it out of you. You know, you're tired. And I didn't sleep well as well. So I put that on top. I was exhausted. Sure. But I still had to take him for a walk. I still had to do that. I still had to get dressed, which I didn't want to do. Get dressed, go outside, and walk for an hour. Mm. Because he needs that exercise. Of course. And being able to focus on that, that's probably a lot of this, a lot of this shit too, that we were so focused on ourselves and our ideas and what we think or whatever. We don't think enough about other people. And that's how we get into these ugly loops too, where we, what do you mean by that? It's like, chill out. You're over-focused. F- pay attention to somebody else for a little while. Take care. Excuse me. Burp. Number one. Burp. Whoa, that was a long one. I was going to uh, say, that took a while to come actually. So I, but, I'm not surprised it's a big one. Was that a dirty joke? A little bit. Um, yeah. Take care of somebody else. Give a shit about somebody else. And I don't mean like in the world. I mean somebody in your vicinity. You know, like, how is your friend doing? How is your mom doing? How is your dad doing? Yeah. Pay attention to that for a little bit. And, it, you know, they used to tell us when we were in high school, like, if you want to you change the world, go down to the soup kitchen for a little while. Mm-hmm. And just be there. And sure. it's true. Just being around people in need and like helping in some way, it changes who you are. Sure. For the better. And if all of us had more of that, we wouldn't have as many problems in this fucking world. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that that's, that's a big part of my life now. You know, the, the doing the political stuff definitely allows me to see outside of a perspective that's my own. And, and it's, it's, it's not even that it's liberating. It's that your problems just don't really matter that much, dude. Right. You know, and, and you're right. Like, that's the biggest thing is that you, you just, you just don't take it as seriously. You just don't. And that's, and that's, and that's a very, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a very liberating feeling, but it's hard to describe unless you've got it. You know what I mean? And that's why as much as I care about things happening in the world, I don't read the news Hmm. because the news focuses me on details. I don't need to know. You know what? You know what I need to know? I know what a good person is Mm -hmm. and I know how to be a good person. I don't always succeed at it. And I know how to help the world in my way, which is to be a good person as much as I can be. And yeah, if everybody yeah. and everybody could do that, I don't need to, you know, like if, if something comes up for a boat, I just think about like, what's, what's the best human thing to do here? Mm-hmm. And that's how I vote. I don't need to read the news to know. I don't need to know this situation. Hey, there's a war possible over here. You know what? I, no matter what, I know war sucks. And anytime we can avoid war, that's a good day. Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't need to read the news to know that. You know, like those simple things. And maybe people out there think that's ignorant. Too bad. Guess what? That's how I live. Sure. And, 
and I have to because it makes it makes it easier for me to be happy because I I don't get muddied down. It's like a, it's why people don't fucking read Twitter anymore because they're tired of getting shit on. Sure. You know, like like uh, here I'll give you uh, something I I ran across the other day um, if I can find it. It's something that somebody posted to Neil Gaiman, which I happened to open the Twitter app to because so um, I followed a bunch of people on Twitter with our Twitter account, even though mm-hmm. I, like, I don't, you know, it's a mechanical feed. I don't uh, go in there much. But the reason I followed a bunch of people on there is because there's a feature in Twitter where you can search just the people you follow, search their tweets. So when I finish a book, I'll go into Twitter and I search and I search just the people I follow to see if they've posted any articles about the books that I just read to further my my reading. Mm. Um, let's see if I can even find this now. It's so buried. Okay, I might not be able to find it. So basically what I remember of it is somebody was pissed off and calling Neil Gaiman a fucking coward mm. because um, what are the two main characters in Good Omen called? I don't remember. It's like as as Azrael and something like that. Yeah, and the two angels, two angel demon. I don't remember. Yeah, but this person was calling him a coward because he wasn't committing fully to the fact that they were in a gay relationship. Okay. And Neil Gaiman's response was something along the lines of, "You can make that happen in your head if you want." He said, "But you know, using foul language at me." And calling me, calling me names, isn't going to change what I do. Mm. And I just thought, like, I'm like, that's what it's like to be somebody on Twitter. Like, you've created this book, you've created this story, and it is what it is. And it lacks in the way that it lacks, and it it's made the way you made it. And somebody wants it to be something else, and now they have this place where they can spit at you. And what what kind of shithead says that? It's it's just so gross that it even you know like that's that's why social media disgusts me because it opens the door for things like that. All the positive things that come out of it that's wonderful, but I don't know if the positive things that come out of social media balance out the poison. They don't. We have no idea how to properly use social media. I mean, I think that's obvious. And I, I, you want to you, all the bad things that happen in this world. So many of them are because of shit that happened on social media. Conversations that happened. Uh, if you, I'm using air quotes around the word conversations, because those aren't conversations. No, spitting matches. Well, it's also from that perspective too. It's also changed the nature of conversation as we understand it, right? Which is inherently shitty as well. Yeah, that that. Two sentences thrown back and forth between people mm-hmm. is considered a conversation. Like, yeah, that's, that's not a that's, fucking conversation. That's not a conversation, dude. That's not how conversation is supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, we could do five minutes of that probably. I'm like, yep, sure, mm-hmm, whatever. You know, just throwing back your you're throwing back quips. That's not a conversation. Conversations when you dig deeper. Oh, it's also just. I mean, it's the the thing I hate most about political conversations, right? It's it's the just waiting for your turn to talk or waiting to criticize. Like yeah. you don't even care that the person you're talking to might have a point of some kind. Doesn't even matter. Doesn't even right. register. Well, I hear that you know not just in political conversations. I hear that a lot on podcasts, mm-hmm. where you have two people just fighting, fighting to talk, where they're not actually hearing what the other person says. 
and in interviews. There's so many people out there. You know, it's very popular podcast format to do interviews because sure. you get you get automatic infusion every time you have somebody on. You get an automatic infusion of their friends and family and fans if they're famous, right? So it's a great way to build a podcast without having to do much work, um, <laughs> marketing wise. It's a lot sure. of work to do interviews, but what happens in a lot of these interviews is these people, and I'm not going to claim that I'm a skilled interviewer, but I'm, I have one up on these people in the sense that I actually fucking listen to what the person's saying. What these people do is they go in and they have a list of questions and they jump from the list, you know, item number one to item number two. Item, they never listen to the answer and react to the answer and go deeper on the answer. And it's, it's literally two people talking at each other. Yeah, and it's, it's 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 awful, and I hear it all the time. I'm like, oh, can't listen to this. Bad interviewer, bad interviewer. You know, some people some people are good at doing the balance. You know, Tim Ferriss for the most part, he's not the greatest interviewer in the world, but he does a really good job of going deeper on things. Sure, that's kind of what he's famous for. I'd say. I think that Rogan's probably the best though, because it really is the closest thing to a conversation. Well, I feel like Rogan. There's a lot of there's a lot of actual true curiosity from Rogan. Yeah, you and, know, and I think that's what makes him so good. And he's don't get me wrong. There's times he talks over guests and tells long stories or whatever, but that is part of who he is. He's just being himself, mm-hmm. and you know his weakness, his strengths, or whatever. He's taking those in. But if you're you know like you're Bob Lazar, and you go on that show and you're nervous because you don't want to. You don't want to do it. Well, Joe Rogan going off on a long story gives you a chance to relax and think for a minute. Yeah, to gather yourself, sure. And that's what people don't understand about interviews too is sometimes you know you have to, as an interviewer, you have to share as well. Mm-hmm. Because I open myself up in my vulnerability. It makes it easier for you to open yourself up in your vulnerability because this is a safe space between us. And that's one example where I like the term safe space mm-hmm. but as far as emotionally. Always True. physical safe space is a good thing, but and it's that's a perfect example of the social media influence of communication is we think it's about the logistics of question answer question answer it's not mm-hmm. it's about listening and conversing and dissecting things you know like right now, what do you think about that what part specifically about podcasters just kind of like, or not just podcasters, interviewers just shooting questions and not like being part of the conversation. That's not an interview to me. What do you think? What would you call that? Um, it's a questionnaire. I mean, you might as well just have a worksheet and post the results on a website. There's, there's no useful interaction there. I mean, most of what... <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like, I mean, it, why, why, why are our interviews valuable? You know, is it because you want the answer to the question? I mean, sure, that's part of it. But, you know, for for a guy like me, the interesting point, and I assume whether you're consciously aware of it or not, the interesting point is is hearing how a person reacts to the question, not just the question and the answer itself. You know, because so much more insight can be drawn from that. You know, the, the thing that the thing I like about the interviews that I've heard from you or from, you know, the good interviews in, in, in the world that I've 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 heard is that there's there's an inquisitive give and take. You know, you learn just as much. If, if it's a good interviewer, you learn as much from the interviewer as you do from the subject. And I think that that 
It's the fascinating point about interviews that most people miss. I don't. I mean, sure, I, if I if there was a question and answer version of that, then sure. I mean, I could probably do that if I had access to that person. But that's not why I'm listening to that specific interviewer. I want to hear their insights. I want to hear their reactions. I want to hear the direction that the conversation goes based on those reactions. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a strange assumption in the just question answer without going deeper. And that assumption is that what that person said in response to my question is as expansive an answer as they're going to give. Sure. And, And that's not true because people forget that the person being interviewed is on the spot. Yep. They don't come in with these questions like you did. Yeah, you know, sure. So, so you're saying, uh, well, well, what do you think about um, the situation with Iran right now? And they go, oh, uh, it sounds pretty scary. And they give you like two or three sentences. They're thinking of that right then. Yeah. And if you don't dig deeper, you're not really going to find out what they think because guess what? They haven't had time to really break into how that they're going to format that. You know, like uh, you have to format an answer sometimes, especially when you know you're being interviewed and being recorded. But then you also, as an interviewer, you have to be curious about what it means, what their answer means, because you can't assume that the audience got it from the way it was stated at the beginning. And you can't assume that you understood it. Sure. Uh, one one thing that I've been I haven't broke into completely, but I'm really going to try with with more guests. Is I don't remember where it came from, but there's this technique that when somebody says something, you should repeat a summary of it back to them to make sure that you understood them. Oh yeah, no, that's that's not just specific to interviewing. That's communication one on one, man. And for people listening, you, you want to give an example like of, of like that, or if you can think of one, I'm putting you on the spot. So you were talking about um, giving examples of how um, in communication um, it's important to give a summary of what that person is saying back to you. Can you can you tell me more about what can you tell me more about what you think of that? Exactly. And the reason that you do that is because you want number one, you got to make sure that you understood what the person going back to intent again. Sure. What they were saying. Because if you take an, an unfavorable interpretation and that's not what the person meant, the interview is going to go a completely different way. Well, the plus conversation. I, well, plus I think the, the thing that you said is really important too is that it gives that person time to actually think about what the fuck their answer is. Right. You because the first, the first answer is never the answer unless you're answering something stupid like, hey, what kind of Thai food do you want? Right. Well, how many times when you were a younger man and you were in a conversation, did you say something on the spot that you didn't necessarily believe, but, the, but then felt the necessi- felt it necessary for the rest of the conversation to defend that. Chad, I do that now. <laughs> I live in the world of politics, man. I'm doing that constantly. So by restating something back to someone, you allow them the chance to revise something. Absolutely. Oh, and not even revise, just explain. It's not even revised. Like I don't need to change what I think because I, I don't usually say what I don't think. Um, it, it, well, that's not the right way to put it. I don't usually <laughs> say something that isn't the meaning of what I want it to be. But a lot of the time, meanings are not simple. Meanings are not easy. It, it, you require the space to understand them and explain. So explaining them is a big part of that equation. Right. And let's be honest. You and I can definitely attest to this after doing as many episodes together as we as we have is that 
conversation is a discovery process. Absolutely. That's all our conversations are, man. We, you, don't, you don't know where you're going to go. You really don't. Like we could come into these episodes with an idea. You know, sometimes we come in with, you know, oh, I'm going to read this and we're going to talk about this. And then those things wouldn't happen. We're not as in control of conversations. And I'm learning more and more. We're not as in control of the words that come out of our mouth as we think we are. Sure. And by assuming that when you're talking to someone that they are, that's not very favorable and it's not very kind. Well, not only that, but but it's also okay that we're not in control. Totally. But that's why you have to clarify things. Sure. Because it's okay. And because I'm because I believe it's okay, I'm allowing you the opportunity to clarify that instead of making you stick with the way that you said it the first time, which was clumsy. Sure. You know, I could restate that, oh, you know what? That word, that's not the exact word I wanted to use. This word, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Thanks. Now let's go from there. Because if well, I had gone from that, we would have gone a different direction. Because well, I, I also thoroughly believe that the the ability to to expound, it's not explain even, it's to expound, right? Like, I mean, that's the way I see it anyway, is that I don't necessarily want you to backtrack on your words and rethink how you said something. I want you to just give me clarity. That's what it's all about. It's just clarity. You know, maybe maybe I don't understand it completely or 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 or, or comprehensively enough to to have a valid response to it. So I want to know more, and that's that's kind of the point. Like for example, if I was talk, if I was doing that interview with Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and he said that thing, say so. What you're saying is that uh, you, if I took it in in a negative connotation, right? Said so, so. What you're saying is you were friends with racists. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. That allows the person to correct a misconception. Sure. But, but, and that's, the you know, where it's not even social media where we learn this stuff. You know also where we learned it? Mm. Newscasters. Oh, sure. TV news interviewers are the biggest assholes because they literally twist things on purpose. Sure. And they rarely ever dig deeper. Well, because they go in with an agenda. And I mean, that's, exactly. that's, that's the worst part of it is that, you know, if you do an interview properly, you can't, you can't control the outcome. And, and I think that unless, unless it's something very specific, like you're on a talk show and you have a list of questions ahead of time and you and the host have certain specific things like nighttime talk shows, for example, right? Like that's, they're not meant to be controversial. And because of that, there's a lot of prep time. Like a lot of the people who watch these nightly talk shows don't realize that all of those questions were canned and discussed long before that person ever sat on that couch and showed up on TV. Answers, you mean? Yeah, sure. Totally. The answers were canned, yeah. Yeah. So so from that perspective, like the, the the example that we're talking about is a very, very different one. You know, like this is this is a place in which the the everything is fresh, where the answers are fresh, where the thoughts are fresh, where the sometimes the the conclusions and the revelations are fresh. Right. That's why like I said, when I edit these things, I'll edit out coughs or, you know, like things that disrupt the conversation. But I leave in everything. I'm not going to, you know, like, okay, I'm going to take 40% of what she said here because, you know, that's the part that's the good stuff. And I'll cut out that other part where she's rambling. No, the rambling is important because you have to understand how people get places. Yeah, it's a journey, man. Absolutely. And and when you start editing those things, then you can start... It's, I could very easily very easily just using space 
change of an interview completely. When I, I could, I could make a joke mm-hmm. that you laughed at, but if I put a five second pause before you laughed, now it sounds like you did a fake laugh. Sure. Because you, you waited and then like, Oh, I have to be polite laugh. Or you can take a case where that happens and your joke failed and the person laughs late and scoot it closer. And now it sounds like you were funny. Just yeah. those little things. You can change the whole tone of something. Well, think about part of this conversation from earlier. Like if, if you edited what you said earlier about your friend, you could mm-hmm. completely change the meaning of all of your intent, even in this case. Right. And that is, that is potentially really bad. Yeah. That's why like when, when people come on, I didn't do it before, but Julie was the first person I started doing this with. I have a waiver now. Mm, and the nice. waiver, the purpose of the waiver, well, there's always a CYA purpose of the waiver, but the purpose of the waiver is to let them know this is what's going to happen. You know, sure. you're giving me permission to record you. Okay. If you didn't know that I was going to record you, then I did a poor job communicating <laughs> what we we're going to do. But it's also, you know, like I'm going, I have sole discretion of how this comes out. Um, what that means is I'm not going to ask you what you want cut out. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm not going to cut anything out. Sure. You are so, and one of the ones on there, the thing that's the last one, you are solely responsible for what you say or do during the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Sure. Therefore, if you say something, that gets you in trouble. Those are words that came out of your mouth. Sure. You know, you, you're the one that uh, said something that made the FBI show up at your door. Not me. Yep. And what the, why? Because the purpose of that is by signing that, signing their name under that, when they go into the episode, they're going to go, I need to think about what I'm saying before I say it. Sure. I'm going to relax, but this isn't, you know, where I can say something awful and be like, oh, never mind, cut that out. Well, I like the idea of, uh, you know... There has to be danger, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I was literally going to say that. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, I wish a, I had interrupted you. An in, in interview isn't an interview unless the stakes are high. Otherwise, it's, it's literally like nighttime talk shows. Yeah. And it's it's not to be mean or anything. That's like that's to be favorable. No, it just gives it meaning. It yeah. Makes it it, makes it makes it matter to both parties. So there's nothing wrong with having value. <laughs> and I I'm, don't edit myself, so I'm in the same bucket, you know, if somebody takes offense to the story I told earlier, mm-hmm. I'm in the bucket where I did tell that story. Yep. I Absolutely. did use that word, you know, and somebody took offense to that. Number one, sorry if you did, because you're not obviously paying attention to anything we've said in this episode about intent. Yep. But that's the world we live in. Like you said, where people just, it's, you know what it is, Lam? It's, it's not even that people don't care about intent. Mm-hmm. It's that they're looking. Yeah. They're purposefully looking. Yeah. They're, purposefully they're waiting looking for to it. catch you. Yeah. They're well, that's, that's my, that's my purity. Like that's my, well, that's my purity police problem, right? Like it, 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 the context doesn't matter. Like the Biden thing, for example, I don't think that that was Joe Biden's best moment. I think he could have been much smarter and much smoother about how he said that. But the intent is definitely not that he was a racist dickhead and was friends with racist dickheads. You know what I mean? Like that was not, he wasn't condoning racism actually is probably the better way for me to say that. But to hear it from someone on this side of the aisle um, that is in that camp, you would think that he was. And that's not, that wasn't his intent at all. 
Did you see the follow-up interview with Al Sharpton that he did? No, I did not. Because so this was this was very interesting because it got into paying attention to words and not paying attention to intent mm-hmm. at all or meaning even. Sure. Because what they focused the conversation that Al Sharpton focused the conversation on the use of the word boy and son, mm-hmm. and basically for anybody that if there's anybody out there that's completely unaware of the unaware of this, those two terms are terms that in the South in particular were used as derogatory terms towards black people. Sure. Black men in specifics, obviously, because boy and son is diminutive, you know, like they aren't, that they're not men was the idea of it essentially. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so he focused on the fact that, that Biden had mentioned those words that this guy would say, he, I think he said something along the lines of uh, this senator that was like superbly racist he didn't call me boy he called me son and so sharpton was paying attention to those words and what biden was saying he said he's like no that's he's like i wasn't even talking about it in the context of those words at all he's like those were words that guy used he said he called me son because i was so young that i wasn't old enough for him to call me boy Mm. that's what i meant by that he said it had nothing to do with black or white it had to do with those are words that he used for age sure, and that, that the guy was like basically making fun of him, calling him kid. Yeah. 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 And obviously he didn't communicate that well either in the first thing, (laughs) but that's, that's why it's so important for clarification. When we take the worst of things and they eat up like fucking important news time to find out that that wasn't important, that that wasn't his intent. You know what that means? That we wasted fucking time in the news cycle for fucking two weeks paying attention to that when we could have been paying attention to the environment, could have been paying attention to another police shooting. We could have been paying attention to uh, economic decline in a small Midwestern American town. Mm. And instead we fucking paid attention to that bullshit, which was a circus and a sideshow because it was nothing. Yeah, sure. That's what pisses me off about about it the most where it's like, there are so many things in the world that are so important, like you said, that we should be paying attention to. And when we pay attention to this shit, we take time away from that stuff. We take time away from the kid that's fucking starving. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that no one in Flint, Michigan still doesn't have flammable drinking water. Unflammable, you mean? Or unflammable, yeah. That's, that's ex- it's exactly the problem, is that we are stuck on sensationalism. We're like, ooh, let's see if we can make Biden dance for two weeks instead of worrying about the real problems in the world. Who gives a fuck? Grow up, people. And that's all the news cycle became for a while, too. That's so depressing. Yes. We have, we have, we're living in such a consequential political time that that's what we care about. And, and, and don't get me wrong. If Biden had meant it that way, then that's definitely newsworthy. Exactly. But the fact that he didn't and people knew that, mm-hmm. that's, that means that they're playing with us. Well, it's, it's like that moment where like, I, I looked at a lot of my progressive friends who, who fell into this trap, right? And who were just like, oh, did you hear what Joe Biden said? My response to them was, come on, guys. Do you really believe in your heart of hearts that Joe Biden is a racist asshole? Do you believe yeah. that? Yeah. And, and if you do believe that, then we are on the wrong fucking team. Exactly. Because that is not the group of people that I want to be associating myself with when it comes to making political change. Is a reactionary group of shitheads who only... Who, who fall into the trap of being defined by their reactions. Nope, right. not what I'm here for. It's, it's, it would be like if, if you and I 
remember we were going to fake that conversation of of attacking the words that each of us use. Mm-hmm. If we came into an episode and we did that and we never talked about anything else, mm-hmm. that's exactly the same thing. Sure. It's exactly the same thing. We're focusing on details and making things into things that they aren't for dynamics. So the things sure. can go up sure, and sure. down and up and down mm-hmm. and up and down when there's actually things that could be talked about. Well, to there's actually topics. Drama and suspense and purely for entertainment value for no other practical reason at all. Yeah. Sure. Like faking a fight. If we yeah. faked a fight and then made up. Like, hmm, guess what? This exciting episode. Listen to this bullshit. <laughs> On this episode of Random Badassery. Random bullshittery. Bullshittery. Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about challenges, amigo. Challenges. Oh, man. I even thought about those. I know you didn't. I noticed. <laughs> yeah. no, I've been so neck deep. I'm, I'm going to definitely have a new job sometime in the near future. And that's good. been occupying so much of my brain space in a good way. Once I have that, it's going to change so much of my life. But yeah. And action items was the only one I caught was to post a photo on Instagram of you on the ledge. You did that. So, yep. Check mark. Um, your challenge, the challenge I gave you was to rewrite your Patreon about page. Yep. Haven't done it. Yeah. And you still have your two songs to do as well. You're piling oh them up. God. You're going to have like I a know, week of work. I have so much to do. <laughs> you just be well, doing you like know, five minutes a day. <laughs> once I, once I, once I have the new job, I will have so much more time to be able to, I mean, yesterday's a good example. My day started at 7 a.m. Or I'm sorry, uh, started at 8 a.m. and ended at like 9:45. It was awful, god awful. Um, and there was no option. I mean, yesterday was a unique situation. I had a guy at work who ended up getting injured, so I had to cover for him. But still, uh, which is why, by the way, for anyone who's not going to know this, uh, this episode is recorded on a different day than usual. Um, but ultimately, like that—that's the, the thing with where I am now is just the amount of time that that's going to afford me and how much just happier I'm going to be beyond that too as well. Right. We shall see. Fingers crossed. Maybe I'll be more miserable. Who knows? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, my challenge was you challenged me to record, uh, was to write and record a page from the book, from the novel. Um, I didn't do that completely in the sense that I, as a rule, you know, I don't generally share things I'm writing until they're done. Yep. So what I did instead was I took one of the pages that is going to be scrapped from the current form of the novel mm-hmm. and recorded that. Huh, interesting. So there is up on my Patreon a episode of Pants in the Chair in which I read a scene from that draft of the novel. And it's a scene that I actually enjoy that I'm bummed that I have to get rid of. Oof. Kill your darlings, Chad. I know. That's one of my darlings. It's one of my little uh, um, author abortions. (laughs) Oh, that's one of the most (laughs) awful things you've ever said. Speaking of. Oh, my God. Feel feel free to take offense of that one. (laughs) Yes. Send all complaints to uh, the Instagram, please. Don't send them to my personal Instagram. My intent there was alliteration. (laughs) Well, you achieved that. Oh my god. Uh, okay, <laughs> welcome to the circus. Here comes the clown. What the fuck was that? Oh, lordy. Oh man. 
And uh, oh, during yes. the day episodes are definitely different. I will, I will give it that. They're weird. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with them. Yeah, it's very <laughs> strange. Well, you know what though? I feel like we packed a lot more in in a weird kind of way. I feel like I, I felt like I talked a lot more. Yeah, it was God. it was very different. We'll see what the audience thinks. Was it different? People? Yeah. Was it garbage? Was um, it cool? Well, even if it's, it is garbage, we don't care anyway, Pictures so of used condoms if it was different. Whoa. Just kidding. Please don't do that. And don't, not your used condom. I mean, Google it. Uh, well, because that's yeah. different, right? But you see, intent, Chad. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> that is going to be absolutely horrifying. No All it takes it. is for, for one person to do that to ruin my day. <laughs> no one's going to do it. We've asked people to do so many things and they never do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Good point. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Speaking of things God. to do while we're talking about it, have you reviewed this show on Apple Podcasts yet? Because we only have 36 reviews and way more listeners. So... If you could take two minutes out of your day, we would really appreciate that. The end. Um, what's, your, what's your challenge for next week? You know, have you thought uh, about it? I want to buy a plane ticket by the next episode. Buy a plane ticket. Okay. Not sure to where. I have mm. an idea of where. Um, but this is definitely going to be much more a. Um, I don't even know how to describe that. A, a milestone moment for me. Mm, I don't know what mine's going to be. I haven't, I haven't done the work. I haven't done the homework, sir. I'm very sorry. Let, let me, let me, let me make a different version of that too. By the way, not buy a plane ticket. Decide where I'm going to go and buy a plane ticket within a month. So I'll decide where I'm going to go by the next episode, but okay. buying a plane ticket might be ambitious depending on how much it costs. We'll leave buy out of it and just decide where you are going to fly. See, I'm doing this to stall so that I can find uh, mine. I want mine to be something useful to me. You know what? I'm, I'm going to... Oh, man. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Since I got the dog... My room has slowly become more and more cluttered. I yeah. am going to organize my room by next week, which is terrifying. Oh, speaking of which, maybe I'll find my Apple Pencil, which I seem to have lost in my room. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, it'll show up on my iPad as like 4% battery. I'm like, that's cool. Where are you? Where the fuck is it? Yeah, sure. I can't find it. It's been gone for like two weeks. Mm. And I haven't been, that's why I haven't been able to do an episode of that show that I want to do, Deboxed, for my Patreon. Because oh, yeah. I need Apple Pencil to design the little, you know, square that I use for the show. So I've been putting off recording those episodes just because I can't fucking find my Apple Pencil. <laughs> it's here somewhere. I even bought this $5 app that uses Bluetooth to triangulate the location of Bluetooth devices. Yeah. And it's like, the hot spot where, you know, it's like a, almost like a Richter scale or whatever, you know, where it goes from left to right. When it gets all the way to the right is when I had it at my desk. And I'm like, but it's not on my desk. It's not in my desk. It's not, I've, I've searched every part of my desk like four times. It's not here. It's within five meters though. Is that the... Well, this is more accurate because it's using Bluetooth triangulation. It's within oh, oh, a foot. Oh, okay. 
Jeez. And you still can't find it? That's crazy. Nope. And for people listening, I don't live in like a fucking <laughs> penthouse suite. Yeah. The room is not that big. I it's just... got to be. It's literally pr- within three feet of where you're currently sitting. Right. I, I just can't find it. That's crazy. Yeah. So organize my room. That's going to be mine. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll call it tidy up. Give a little nod to Marie Kondo. Tidy up my room. Okay. Um, did you recognize any action items in the episode? I didn't. I did not. I don't think we had any. I'll pay attention when I edit, as always. Okay, people. If although, you... although I do say, just for our Instagram followers, um, if there are any, um, I'm going to start recommending songs on there. Okay. In the, in the in the story specifically. Perfect. We we haven't used stories yet. So. Yep. Not for the Instagram. No. That's a good use of it. Those yep. Very good use of it. Um, I might do the same. Cool. Since stories, you can stack up as many as you want and not annoy people. Why the yep. hell not? Might as well. Okay, people. Um, if you would like to follow me on Patreon, this is what is going on with that accent. fine accent that I'm slowly going to move to Australian and then maybe into South Africa. Oh my God. It hurts me slightly. <laughs> hurts me slightly. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my fun accent that I don't actually use for anything because it goes so many places. What do you mean, Chadwick? Yeah. <laughs> it's my cartoon. It's my favorite. It's my cartoon accent. I'm British. Didn't you know that? What are you talking about? I can actually do good accents. I just do this shitty one. Um, I don't know why I decided to eat a nut in the last 30 seconds of the episode. Nuts. Dude, it's, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't touched my nuts this entire time. And I could not Ten resist. After two hours, I'm just staring at my nuts and I had to, I had to get a nap. Intent. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? I might intend to touch my nuts. Maybe. Maybe. And with that... <laughs> Yes, Goodbye. You, can, <laughs> you guys can follow me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash holy fool productions. Uh, this week, I put up the episode that I just talked about where you can hear a scene from a soon to be removed scene from my novel. Mm. And uh, Lamb, where can they find you on Patreon? You can find me patreon.com slash the vacant room. You can also find me um, on Instagram, the vacant room as well. So everywhere you can find me, it's the vacant room spelled as it sounds. And that's me. And you guys can also follow Tom on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Tom Woodrum. And his Instagram is sir.beardo. And of course, you can follow us for visual aids, song recommendations from Lamb, maybe me, maybe Tom, uh, recommendations on other things and possible topics for upcoming episodes. And that is Random Badassery with a little A with a circle around it in front of it, also known as at symbol, which probably has a real name. Yeah, Um, I'm going to find that out by next week. Action item. Hold on. Hold on. I finally get to put one down. Find out the name of the at symbol. Exciting. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to wait for Lamb to find it out. Yeah. Um, also, we have Twitter. It's also at Random Badassery. 
it's Doobie mostly it's, <laughs> it's mostly the stuff that comes from Instagram, but then also episodes when episodes come out, it posts a link there, and then uh, my newsletter posts there once a week, and then also Patreon stuff can go there. Yep, and uh, I think we're done. I think uh, we're gonna have a uh, have to jump into our day now. Cool. I'm going to try not to be sick. And I have to go to work. Sucky. Mm -mm. Bye-bye, babies. Bye.